down to business of the Word of God. Okay. We're going to continue through our series in the book of Romans. Just go to Acts and hang a really hard right and you'll end up right there. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. We're going to read them. They're up on the screen. If you're following along somewhere around the world, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans 1. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. So follow along as I read the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as how as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, make a request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Verse 11. For I long to see you, in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, so that you may be established. So let's dig into these verses. Slide 3. Let's look at verse uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Kind of just a recap. That's where I left off in my last time with you. But look at the text, church. Always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. You'll see that word there, the word thalamatai. That's the word will in the Greek. We're going to kind of like look at that. We see the request. We're going to look at that a little bit so you can kind of see how, where Paul's mindset and heart was at as we look at this verse. Flip slide four. In our last time together, we reflected on Paul's prayer life. And I had asked you to think about your own prayer life. And here's some of the questions I wanted to reiterate with you one more time. Take a look at these. Did you pray for those fellow Christians whom you do not know this past week? How about this one? Are, are you praying for those who hurt you? That's tough. In our flesh, we want to get even, we want to hurt, we want to destroy. But in God's way of things, are you and I praying for those who have hurt us? I know that's tough. How about your unsaved co-workers, friends? How about your unsaved relatives? Are you praying that the Lord would save them? Our time is short, church. We don't have a whole lot of time left. How about this? Here's a tough one. What would be different about your life and my life if we did pray for them? How would God change our heart if we started to pray for those who persecute us or those that we don't like? What, what would be different about our attitude if we started to do things God's way instead of the flesh? You see, a man who makes more time in his life to pray for others will come to find that his problems will start to seem minimal. So now we come to Paul's last statement in verse 10. 
I want to kind of highlight there and camp out there for a minute. Still, by the will of God. And you can put up slide three again if you want to go back, because that's in that text. Church, it seems that Christians seem more to ever today to have more confusion about this idea of God's will and guidance than anything else. Let's be completely honest this morning and ask ourselves this. See if this resonates with you. How many times have each of us looked up to heaven and said, What now, God? What now? Or how about this? God, what do you want from me? Or how about this one? God, God, why am I going through this? I'm sure none of y'all have read these prayers. But here's the facts, church. As we dig in this, you'll see this. Our desires, your desires and my desires, church, should come out of our alone time with God. And you'll soon find that those prayer requests that are all me-centered start to slowly change to reflect more of God's will for your life. This is how we can be sure we are following God's desires and not our personal lusts. Listen, hear me this morning. If you're walking in an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, please know this. He will shape your character. He will shape your influence. He will shape your life. And that is how he will also shape your desires and my desires. So how then can we come to know this thing called God's will? This thelema, as the Greek word says. Put up slide five. Five and six. I want you to see some wisdom that Solomon gave to his son, who was a pretty young guy at the time. It's Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, if you're following along. Take a look at this text. I'm going to read it slowly and let it soak into you. My son, if, if you will receive, my son, if you will take into possession my words, if, son, you will treasure my commandments within you, if, son, you will make your attentive, meaning in our vernacular, son, if you'll pay close attention to wisdom, incline or concentrate on, concentrate your heart to understanding. Look at verse 3. If, son, you cry out for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then, then you will discern, then you will begin to understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Look at that first statement there, still on slide five. My son, if you will receive, if you will take into possession my words. Now, to give you guys a little bit, since Dr. Carter was an English teacher, let's give you a little background in English here. That word if is what we call a conditional clause. All right, Pastor Jack, what's a conditional clause? I'm sure you all know. Well, a conditional clause is you're expressing one thing that's contingent on something else. Here's a real simple example of a conditional clause. If it rains, the picnic's canceled. So what would be the reason why the picnic would be canceled? If it rains. There's your condition. So here in the text, Solomon is now unpacking for you and I what's required of us if we are to discover the fear of the Lord, and discover the knowledge of God as stated in verse 5. 
says, my son, if you will receive, literally take into possession. So here in the text, to receive something is implying that we do not yet possess something that we really need. Think of the importance of you and I having to have the humility to be able to say, I don't know. I don't have that answer. Solomon possesses something that his son does not yet have in his possession. Something important that he doesn't know. Hopefully we can be humble and confess that there are things that we just don't know. Now, the world you and I live in today in this 21st century may tell you this thing about this stuff about mindfulness and all that stuff or secular humanism. They may tell you that all you need to do is to look within yourself to answer those questions. But church, that is sinful and demonic. Put up slide 7. James warned us about this stuff. In James 3.15, he says, The wisdom that is not, I underline that, not from above, that does not come down from above, that kind of wisdom that's not from there, is earthly, natural, and demonic. So then, this first statement reveals to all of us that we are a people who desperately need God's counsel in our lives. Amen? Amen. Then he moves on and says, And treasure my commandments within you. So ask yourself this question. What is a treasure? 11-year-old kid comes up to you and says, Hey, can you give me the working definition for the word treasure? I need it for my school paper tomorrow. Think in your minds what you would give as a definition of the word treasure. Real important word here. Treasure my commandments, my entoles, within you. So what is a treasure? Well, church, a treasure is something that gives you value and purpose. Something that's very important to you. Something that is very precious to you. In fact, whether you realize it or not, you actually organize your life around getting that treasure, possessing that treasure. In fact, that whatever controls your heart is that treasure. It controls your emotions and your desires. Well, where does that say that? Well, back in Matthew 6, I think around, around verse 21, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So whatever you treasure has inescapable influence over your life and behavior. Solomon's telling his son, listen, don't be treasuring the worldly stuff, the worldly stuff. Treasure my commandments within you. So the Hebrew word that he's using here for the word treasure is quite interesting. You see, back in the Hebrew idea of treasure, as it was used here in the text, it has this idea of hiding something of extreme value for the purpose of protecting it. You want to protect your mind? Get into the Word of God. See, the person who comes to understand that life is hard realizes the importance of treasuring God's life-giving Word in his heart. Ask yourself this. How valuable and important is God's Word to you? Now think about all the things you do during the week outside of work. How valuable is God's Word to you? How much time does God's Word get compared to the television or other things? Where your heart is, your treasures also. I didn't say it. Jesus did. So protecting, it means that you don't allow things of the world to get into the way of spending alone time with the Lord so you and I can hear from him as he speaks to us through his word. 
Think about protecting God's word. That's off limits. That's time alone with God. These earthly things I'm going to set aside so that I can hear from God. Because God's word is not a dead coffee table book, church. It's a Zoe book. It's a life-giving word. So, how would your life and my life be different if our hearts became this inner sanctuary that housed the Word of God, where God's life-giving Word controlled our thinking and way of life. Because the battle line's drawn. The world is going to try to draw you away in these very last days we're living to secular humanism and all of the worldly philosophies. Or God's Word's going to prevail when you surrender to Him and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. Because God's word is truth replacing lies. So think about it. If our hearts became the naos, the temple, for God's word to dwell, then his rule and his reign would be in our life. Hear me this morning. You must make time to know God. So hitting back in Romans, Paul says he's making requests. Was this just one request and then God answered Paul? No. The text is clear. Paul had this very intense desire to see and spend time with these new believers there in Rome, a pagan city that's much like our country today. And he says he was making requests. So, let's put up slide 8. Let's look at verses 11 through 13 and kind of unpack this letter. Now remember, we're reading a letter Paul wrote to this church. So what did he say to these New believers there in Rome. He says, guys, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. See, God's word will establish a church. Verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while I'm among you, each of us by the other's faith. Yours and mine. Man, that should be hitting a square between the eyes, church. He says, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. Listen, I've often planned to come to you, and I've been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. See that word long there? In the Greek, this has an idea of a very strong, intense desire. You see, Paul knew full well what it was like to want something deeply and then having to wait for it sometimes for many years. But in American culture, buy now, pay later. I don't care if you ever pay the bill. Got to get it now. That sale's going to end and then the world's going to come to an end. None of you all fall victim of that. That's okay. Hey, is there anyone here experiencing that same thing? Waiting on God? Waiting and waiting and waiting. And we, we look at that in our flesh as God just doesn't care or God doesn't hear me. That's how we will look at it, amen? amen? Waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet just the very opposite is true because during that waiting, God's doing a work in you that you're not even realizing. But you know, Paul does something far different than most people, especially in our society today. You see, Paul's acting by the will of God. You see, this is where a lot of believers today get in trouble. <clears throat> they move ahead with their own desires and their own agenda, 
without waiting to hear from God. They rush headlong into it. Then they get into trouble, and they suffer for it. And then what do they do? They end up putting God on trial, blaming God for a decision they made on their own without even waiting to hear from God. Has this ever happened to you? Because I know it's happened to me. Paul uses this word will. So the question becomes, okay, Paul, I don't want to read my 21st century thing into it. I want to exegete. So I want to go down into the text, and I want to go back and say, okay, what did Paul mean when Paul used this word will? The Greek word is thelema. What did he mean? Well, the Greek understanding of this word is preference, desire, volition, a, a determination. Determined, a determination. I like the word volition to help kind of like bring out more of the definition for you and I of the word will. See, the word volition means the act or power of making choices or decisions without being influenced by other people. Hmm. So we're talking about God's will. We're talking about God's desires. We're speaking about what God desires. His determination. And what is done according to his will, his plan, his purpose, his preferences. So this common practice today in some churches of demanding things from God and expecting God to meet those demands, hear me this morning, is sinful and perverted to act, to somehow think that you and I can sway God away from his own will to submit to our sinful will. Please understand something this morning. We don't influence God or change his mind. He's immutable. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change his mind. God's not up there going, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. doesn't work that way. I think of couples that come to me to get married, and I often will ask them this first question. They'll come in all giddy and excited. Have you prayed about it? Oh, the room goes silent. Or I'll ask him, um, Whose dream is it to get married? Yours or God's? And I get a disfigured look on their face. Then I'll ask them, do you want what God wants for you in marriage? You see, there's a difference between our way and God's way, church. But Paul says he was making the requests. It's important for us to understand something. And we can learn this from Paul. Paul did not move ahead until he was absolutely sure in his own mind that what he wanted was in accordance with what God's will and determination is. Paul was waiting for God to make the way clear for him. Hear me this morning. Hear me, please. If something is God's will for you, please understand he will make the way clear for you. If you want to see God moving in your life, be patient, and listen to him. Don't move forward until he makes the way clear for you. Paul was waiting for God to make it possible for him to go to Rome. And he is fully aware, Paul was fully aware, that nothing is prospered unless it is under the will and blessing of the Lord. So the first thing we notice is he submits his request to the Lord. We call that deasis or desis. You're requesting, you're submitting your request to the Lord. Second thing, Paul, if we notice, accepts hindrances from God. So what does he tell the believers in Rome? I, I often plan to see you guys, but
but I've been prevented so far. This is something that we need to learn, church. God will use hindrances in our lives to guide us, just like he did in Paul's life. He will sometimes show us what he wants us to do or not to do by hindrances. One of Paul's hindrances was that he still had a lot of work to do where he was at, and he was just unable to find the time to get to Rome, even though he had a longing desire to be there. God kept Paul back from going until his work was done where he was at. So please understand, hindrances don't, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's just the opposite. Another hindrance will come in the form of sickness or circumstances or accidents. Paul experienced that too, slide 9. Writing to the church of Corinth in verse 8, chapter 2 Corinthians 1.8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction, this literally persistent pain and distress, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, meaning we were overwhelmed beyond our ability, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even for a life. That doesn't sound like fun, Pastor Jack. No. But God's going to mold you and shape you and carve you to reflect his glory and not your own. So God will use sickness, accidents, circumstances to restrain you and I and delay us from our own plans. This is why we need to bathe our plans in prayer. We need to be in the scriptures. That's where wisdom and discernment will come into your life, as we've read in Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. God may choose to set up these barriers so that at the time we are unable to move through them. Here's something else to keep in mind. Satan can hinder us as well. Put up slide 10. Look what Paul says. For we wanted to come to you, he's writing in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 to the church of Thessalonica now. We, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. Yet Satan hindered us. Now, that word hindered is a very, very interesting word. Very interesting word. Think about what hindering means to you. Well, the Greek word is ekopto. So this word hindrance, as it is used here in the Greek text, means to cut into, to dig a trench, to impede. It's interesting that back in the war with the Germans, these soldiers in England, what they would do is they would dig these really deep trenches in the road, kind of cover them up so you couldn't see them, so that if the Germans would try to bring their tanks in, they would fall into these deep trenches and they would not be able to pass through. These trenches became the obstacles to prevent them from moving forward. So then Satan can be an obstacle in your life and my life to hinder us. That's why we need to be praying for each other as well. We cannot use prayer as our magic genie in a bottle, little Christmas list. Because Satan will set up trenches for you and I to fall into. Be careful what you watch on TV, on the internet, on your phone, on your tablet. Be careful what you put into your mind. Finally, perhaps the most important, the Holy Spirit may hinder us. Paul tells us in Acts 16, 6 and 7, slide 11. Here's Paul. 
they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been what? Forbidden by who? Holy Spirit is God, fully God. He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. After they came to Messiah, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. What would it be like if we really surrendered all parts of our life to God and allow Him to navigate where He wants us to go and what He wants us to do? What would be different if we listened but the Holy Spirit, I've said it a million times, never works independently from the Word. Never works independently from the Word. What do we see here? Paul attempted to go and preach in Asia, but he was forbidden to go at that time by the Holy Spirit. What do we see? He had a desire to go to Bithynia. He tried to go. Holy Spirit did not allow him. There are places that the Holy Spirit doesn't want you and I to be placed in and go. The text says they were trying. They made the attempt. They put what they desired to the test, and Jesus did not permit them. So Paul was sensitive to the leading of God the Holy Spirit. Okay, how do you and I put all of this into practice in our own lives. Let's circle it around. Well, first and foremost, God has given each of us minds. He's given each of us understanding. We are meant to use this because this is what God has given to each of us. We are to use reasoning. And here is something that's very important. We are to consult other spiritually mature believers who have a solid walk with the Lord. They have a solid grasp of the scriptures. You can see it lived out in their lives. You can go to mature people like that. And most importantly, and I'm going to say it again, and we're going to preach until we drop dead, you and I are to continually, every day, not blow the dust off on your Bible on Sunday, Saturday night because church is Sunday, we are to saturate ourselves with the Word of God Every single day. And if what you sense in your heart and mind is God's will for you, He will open the door. And if it's not, listen, He will shut the door. No sense in fighting Him. You won't win. Church, this has all the flavor of yielding and trusting God. It is not our place to force open the door. That's where we get into trouble. We do not have the rule and goal of playing God in our lives. That's not our job. Hear me this morning. If it is His will, you will sense a witness of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. In John, the Bible says His Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are His. If there is a sense of uneasiness, or if there's a sense of uncertainty in your spirit, don't move. Wait on the Lord for guidance and direction. Another point that needs to be made here is wisdom. Slide 12. What is wisdom? What does the word mean? What does it mean? The Greek word is Sophia. The Hebrew word is chakma. The word has the idea of meaning a skill. So wisdom, as you see it in the Old Testament here, is the skill of applying God's word into your life 
so that you have the discernment to make decisions that are consistent with his will for your life. That's what wisdom is. It's the skill of applying the word of God, this, this, this Ginsu knife that cuts open into your heart. If God is hindering you from doing something, it does not mean that we need to get annoyed or discouraged. Listen, if we're getting annoyed and discouraged, something's wrong in our heart. It's called sin. Think about it. If God is hindering you and I from doing something, and we get angry at him and annoyed at him, that should be something that's revealed to you to say, wait a minute. I should not be getting angry and annoyed with him. He is God and I am not. He's the potter, I'm the clay. Our flesh wants to get annoyed because we want what we want now. We want our meal already done when we go through McDonald's drive-thru before they've even made it. What's going on? Oh, I had to wait an extra 60 seconds? None of y'all struggle with that. It's okay. Hear me this morning. God is there protecting you from either doing something that will hurt you or because he has something far better for you. I know what it's like to struggle with that. But we need to trust him and have faith in his providence. Here's a real important question. Do you trust God? Your life will reveal the way you live, whether you trust him or not. Do you continually pray every day throughout the day for his guidance? Commit your works to the Lord, and he will establish your thoughts. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Proverbs 16, 3 and Proverbs 30, verse 5. If you have never meditated on Scripture, now is the time to begin to do it. You open your Bible, you read a portion of Scripture, and then you ask Yahweh to fill your mind and heart with his thoughts. Lord, what are you saying to me through this? We have a Bible study here on Monday nights in prayer. We have one on Thursday nights. We're going to be getting a new series from Paul Washer on how to really study the scriptures to give you some tools to do it. What would be bad about giving yourself the privilege of going through that training so that when you open your Bible, you have the skills to say, oh, you know, I know what he's talking about here. Meditation can be difficult at first, but it, re it requires a person to quiet their mind and just listen to what the Holy Spirit has to reveal to you through his word. Shut off your phone. Shut off your tablet, your iPad, your television, your radio. Be silent with the Lord. Write out your prayer requests before you pray them. Organize your thoughts. Open up the scripture and allow it to speak to you. Listen, everything that God would say to you if he was sitting right in that chair right now in human form, he's already said in his word. We have the sufficiency of scripture. We have God's word penned all 66 canonical books at our veil, and we treat it like a coffee table book or we throw it on the shelf somewhere. That's like spitting in God's face. Everything in there is for our benefit to teach us, to, to mold us and shape us. Our job is to reflect His glory, not our own. So shut off the devices. Get alone with Him. I like what Bruce Walkie has to say, slide 13 and 14. Bruce Walkie has a book out about the will of God. I encourage you to pick one up. Excellent book. The wise man reads scripture, meditates on it, memorizes it, and puts it into practice. 
I better read that line again. Let's look at it. The wise man, the sophist, the one with chakma, the one with the skill, reads scripture. He meditates on it. He memorizes it. And then he puts it into practice. He lives out what it tells him to do. That's what God desires from each of us. He wants us exposed to his thoughts, not the world's and Satan's, his thoughts, to be thinking his thoughts so that he can change us. Bam. The scripture into your life. He goes on to slay slide 14. He shapes your heart after he's cleansed it of all sin so that your desires now correspond to his desires. Oh, I see some credit cards getting teared up now. Shh. When God is in control of your life, he's in control of your desires. I would add he's also in control of your wallet. The things you long for in your heart are then put there by God the Holy Spirit. That's why David wrote in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Why don't we trust him enough to believe that? Why is that a problem for us? By, by being a slave, you, you, you become free when you become a doulos for Christ. Think about it. Here's another thing. God already knows what the future holds for each of you. He knew it a gazillion years before he even invented planet Earth. Why would we want to have, why wouldn't we not want to have him guiding us? If he already knows the end from the beginning, all at the very same time, he knew when you would be born. You didn't. He knew who your parents would be. You didn't. He knew the year you would be born. You didn't. The sex you would be born. You didn't. He knew all of that. Where you would end up living. You didn't. So think with me, church. Put your thinking caps on. If he already knows all that about you, and he created you for the purpose of glorifying him, why do we have such a hard time trusting him? Why do we still think we could do it better than him? It's getting quiet in here now, Dr. Carter. Why walk in blindness when he's the light? It would be like going to the map store, turning on your GPS because you need some good direction to go somewhere. Then you throw the map in the trash or you never program the destination in your GPS. Let's be honest this morning. We can often act on impulse because of something that we desire that turns into a demand. And that's what gets us in trouble. This is also why so many people end up with bad credit. They listen to the lie. Instead of saving the money and then buying it, they hear the commercial on the, you know, we don't care what your credit's like. We don't care about this or that or the other. And then they run down there because they see the shiny new little thing, and they don't realize on the other end of the shiny new thing is these payments that are monstrous. And the next thing you know, your car's repossessed, and it's everybody else's fault. Oh, it's everybody. Nobody's ever had that. No. I'm meddling now, Dr. Carter. Desires, set up, demands, and expectations. That's why we need to run them through the lens of Scripture. And church, let's face it, there's a lack of trusting Him on our part because we want what we want now. We want all the gifts from God, 
We want to do the snatch and grab while we're running away from him. But what does he call us to do? Slide 15. Here's Solomon writing again. Trust in the Lord. Roll all of you. The word trust is roll into. Roll it all into Yahweh. Your whole heart and everything. Don't lean. Don't depend on your own understanding. It's very interesting that word in the Greek has the idea of a guy that's all with a cane there. And he's leaning on the cane, expecting the cane to hold him up. But the cane breaks. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Meaning, seek his will. What is the end result? He will make your path straight. Trust him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Everything that you and I do should be in grateful acknowledgement of what he is doing in and through our life. The result is he's going to make our path straight. All of us seem to, at time to time, forget your life and my life belongs to God. Where does it say that in the scripture, Pastor Jack? Okay, Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the sons, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel 18.4. Every soul belongs to God. Let's get that straight. We should always be seeking guidance from Him. And if all souls belong to God, that's why I'm vehemently opposed to abortion. Slaughtering an innocent kid in the womb because I want something else. No. All souls belong to God. Slide 16. Seeking guidance from God. Here's Jesus. Luke 22:41. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray. Notice the intense respect and humility that Jesus showed the Father. He knelt down. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time any of us really knelt down in humility to pray? When, when was the last time that we actually did it? When we got on our knees and we prayed? Slide 16, Luke 22, 42. Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, Father, not my desire, but yours be done. What would be different of our lives if that became a model for us to live by. How about slide 17, John 6, 38? Jesus saying, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Church, true peace, true, real, calm peace in our decision making can only be found when we are truly and totally submitting all of our life to God. If you do that, you will have a peace that you didn't even know you could have on earth. Slide 18. Paul's next statement says this. He wanted to impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. Now, some of our friends in the other charismatic persuasion will look at this verse, not all of them, a little differently than what the verse means that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. So here's the first thing. Let's, let's tease this apart so that we understand 
what Paul meant when Paul said established and spiritual gift. The word established is an important word. It's a Greek word, sterizo. This word established means that you were secure, you are built up, you are firm, and you are strengthened. Built up, firm, secure, strengthened, sterizo, established. The foundation is secure, built up. The spiritual gift that Paul wanted to give them wasn't prophecy or speaking in tongues, flopping on the floor, all of that stuff. No. That was not what Paul wanted to give them. Paul wanted to give them the solid, firm, foundational doctrines of Scripture. That's the gift that he wanted to give them. He wanted them to be strengthened, built up, firm and secure in the Word of God so it would govern the way they govern their lives and that church in Rome. He wanted to teach them sound doctrine. This is how he wanted to establish them, church. This is what the church needs today more than ever. Solid, expository, exegetical preaching of Scripture. Not feel-good messages. He wanted to strengthen them and build them up in their understanding of the Word of God so they would not be carried away by all of the false doctrines and teachings today. Remember what Jesus taught, slide 19, in John 17, 17. Sanctify them, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. What does he mean here? It is by the truth of God's word, his scriptures, that you and I are set apart, made holy, by the knowledge of the truth found in the scriptures. Think about the process as you build the truth of scriptures into your life. Slide 20. And I'll go to my grave saying this. It is God's word that transforms our hearts and minds. Slide 21. Paul's teaching. I love this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Look at this with me, church. I'm almost done. 18 more pages to go. No, I'm kidding. Look at this. For this reason, he's writing again to the church of Thessalonica. For this reason. What reason, Paul? We're constantly thanking God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Are you receiving the word of God you're hearing from Potsdam Bible Church? You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul's saying, you didn't accept it as just the word of men. You accepted it for what it really is. The word of God which performs. It's active. Look at the word perform. It's active. It's doing something in the believer. Please open your Bibles. Please read your scriptures. Please spend time in the word of God. Even Paul telling this church 2,000 years ago of this. Slide 22. Paul knew full well that there was power in God's word. And with great power, great dunamis, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. It's that power that convicts men's hearts, church. It is this power that calls men to fall on their faces and cry out to God. So then how do Christians, as I wind this down now, 
How do Christians so often get into trouble today? They never get established. God's word, they're apathetic. God's word is just not important to them. All the other things they have to do are important, but God's word isn't. And then because they don't have that wisdom, they make decisions that are poor. They do not build God's word into their lives daily. They simply do not or will not open up their scriptures. They choose not to find time to plug into weekly Bible studies. Look at what Peter says, slide 23, 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And then, actually 1 through 3. This is now, beloved, this is the second letter I'm penning to you, I'm writing to you. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Guys, I'm stirring up, I'm trying to remind you guys, trying. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Whew, I could spend an hour on that verse alone. So church, it is clear by the tone of this letter that Peter had to deal with unstable Christians who also were struggling to remember the words spoken to them by the prophets and the apostles. Christians who do not know sound doctrine. Paul uses this word stirring there. Stirring up your sincere mind. What does this word mean, sincere? The idea means to wake somebody up or to arouse. You see, Peter, just like Paul Church, had to deal with Christians who were easily being carried away by the false doctrines and teachers of that day. This is why it is so vitally important to be established. There's no room for having superficial faith. Paul, as well as Peter's epistles, were written to establish and stabilize the believers, that's you and I, in our faith. Let me close with what Paul wrote to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Slide 24. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's God's word that's going to build you up, church. This is what Paul wants to speak about in Rome. Please, this morning as I close, don't be deceived. Hear me again. It is only a deep and thorough understanding of the scriptures, the word of God. That's what will give you and I stability to navigate through this life. Don't be deceived and thinking the worldly philosophy is going to do that for you. I'm here to tell you it won't. Spent seven years in school, got a Ph.D. in biblical, nutheticle, Christian counseling. I know what the secular world's psychological stuff will do. Be careful about who you allow to speak into your life. Amen? The scriptures must be studied. You and I need to experience them, live them out. When you inculcate the word of God into your life, and your mind. It will reshape your mind to think the way God wants you to think. This is what I believe Paul meant when he says, you know, I long to see you. I want to impart the spiritual gift to you so that you will be secure and established. As I close, are you established? Are you taking the time to build God's word into your life? Again, I want to reiterate this. I, I truly believe we are in the very last days. I'm just going to come out and say it. 
I don't think we have a whole lot of time left. Amen. Now is the time for you to get right with God. He could come at any time. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. But he's coming back for his church, one way or the other. Now, I don't worry too much about it because whether I drop dead or I get pulled up and raptured, I'm going to be with him. But you hear me this morning. The world is going to continually, we're going to come to a time in this country where the persecution is going to become more and more intense, like we see, like the Christian families in Haiti that were now taken hostage. It's coming. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to be in God's camp or the world's camp. You can't have one foot in either. If you're neither hot nor cold, he's going to vomit you out of his mouth. I'm telling you right now. You either are for him or you're not. There's no, there's no uh, well, maybe I'll put my toe in the water like a sonar radar. Is it too cold or is it too hot? No. You need to get right with God now. Now is the time. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I want to encourage you. If the Holy Spirit is waking you up and speaking your heart, that you make the time to surrender your life to Christ. Because when you drop dead, don't be misled in thinking you get a second chance. It is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. You're not going to be able to do any backroom deals with God when you're up there sitting before that bema seat. That ain't going to happen, church. It's appointed once for a man to die, then the judgment. Don't be deceived. If God is pulling at your heart and he's telling you, hey, you've been doing things your way for this long, how's it working out for you? Maybe it's time to surrender your life to Christ, get into his word. We have these tools here in this church, and there's other great churches out there, not just ours, that you can plug into. Get into a good Bible study. Get into a good prayer meeting. Spend time with other Christians. Be around them. Be, be uh, you know, coin and knee of fellowshipping with them. Learn from them.